the age-old methods of medical training are reaching their limits. The gap between evolving healthcare needs and traditional education is widening, leaving clinicians and healthcare professionals grappling with outdated tools. How do we make learning in healthcare more tailored and effective and evidence-based? And can technology help solve the skill and knowledge gaps that standard e-learning still struggles to fill? On the show today, THT Ambassador Ruby Hartley speaks to Dr. Mark Berg, Chief Clinical Advisor for Area 9 Lyceum, a company at the forefront of AI-driven adaptive learning. In this episode, we talk about the transformative power of adaptive learning in healthcare education, the evidence supporting the effectiveness of adaptive learning versus traditional methods, and the role that adaptive learning can play in enhancing clinical decision-making. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Good morning, Mark. I mean, morning for me. I don't know what time of... It is over there in the world where you are, but... Yeah, mid-afternoon here in sunny California, Northern California. So, good afternoon. Thank you for coming on this Talking Health Tech podcast and having a conversation with me today. really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, to get things started, Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you've come from. I'm a professor of pediatrics at Stanford University here in Palo Alto, California. I've been here about seven years. Uh, My specialty specifically is pediatric critical care. So, I've been in academic medicine about 25 years. I know it's hard to imagine that that when you look at me, you might might say maybe five or six years, but anyway, 25 years in academic medicine. Before this, I was at the University of Arizona and sort of climbed the whole academic ladder there, was a division director and et cetera, et cetera, promoted to full professor and all that, all that good hard uh, academic work that, that, that some of us enjoy doing. Originally from Minnesota in the far north of the US and uh, born and raised there and went to the university there. So that's basically my journey in academic medicine. My work with Area 9, which is the Danish company that makes Area 9 Lyceum Rhapsode, which is the adaptive learning software I, that we'll talk about today. An interesting story, as I was a volunteer with the American Art Association, I was the chairman of the Pediatric Committee on Resuscitation. And the founders of Area 9, before they founded Area 9, were working with the Art Association on some of the earlier online learning technologies. So this goes back to, you know, 2006, uh, something like that, seven, so quite a while. And then as they started their company, you know, some so many years ago now, Area 9, we recognized in each other uh, a love of learning and, and uh, a passion for healthcare education. Uh, two of the founders happened to be doctors, medical doctors. And so we just kept in touch and sort of agreed like, hey, when when things come up uh, in healthcare, let's keep see if we can work together. However many years later now we are into it, what, 2007, quite a while. 
Uh, I guess my title is Chief Medical Advisor to Area 9 Group. So that's that's how I fit fit in here today. I mean, you sound slightly qualified for that job, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. It's, you know, it's something you learn as you go along, of course. But since adaptive learning hasn't been around that long, I guess, as you look back, I've been around since the, the early days. So, yeah, I guess so. So you love for learning Area 9 Lyceum. Talk to me. What is Area 9 Lyceum and how does it fit into healthcare? So Area 9 Lyceum is the adaptive learning company w- within Area 9, Area 9 has some other things they do in custom software development, et cetera. But the core of Area 9 is Lyceum. The core of Area 9 is adaptive learning. And the company, as I mentioned, was founded you know, some years ago. And then in 2014, uh, sold a large portion of its technology to McGraw-Hill, which was a, you know, it's a large, obviously large textbook or publishing company, textbook company traditionally. And so Learn Smart and anyone who might have used a McGraw-Hill textbook in the last 10 years or, or so might have used something called Learn Smart, which is Area 9's technology that McGraw-Hill bought. So after that sale, then Area 9 t- 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 changed course a little bit and started working hard on the next generation of adaptive learning technology. And that's where it is today. So that is Area 9 Lyceum based both in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Boston here in the U.S., and the sort of the premier product of uh, of Area Nine's adaptive learning suite of products is is called Rapsode. So it's that's the name of the uh, of the adaptive learning software that Area Nine has created. It sounds like a big, 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 big bit of technology. We yeah. tell me what in terms of adaptive learning you you keep using this adaptive learning conversation. So let's talk yeah. to the audience. What is adaptive learning and what's the significance of it? I think a general answer to that question is just that anytime you take content or a way to deliver content and make changes to fit the specific needs of a specific student, that's adaptive. So it can be very broadly defined. I think, you know, there's even sort of an analog form of adaptive learning that I like to talk about, which is when you've had a good professor and he or she is in front of the class, maybe for the first time, or if you're attending a lecture, they might say, so who of you here are uh, nurses? You know, who are doctors? What else do some of you do? How long have you been doing this? Does anyone know anything about this topic of sepsis or shock? You know, so just two, three, four, five questions that the skilled teacher would gather is going to change a lot about how that person delivers the content, right? If you found out that everyone was an advanced uh, anesthesiologist, you'd have a different conversation about intubation than if everyone was a first day um, uh, student in undergraduate, right? So you may still cover the same material, but wow, it's going to be presented in a different way and you're going to have a different approach to it. Adaptive learning, as we talk about it at Area 9, involves involves the software Rapsode and involves uh, a very unique approach to adaptive learning, which is unique in the field, which is a biologic approach. And many people have experienced a type of adaptive learning that's inferential and, and basically hardwired. And so that's where you have a question put to you and the software behind that question is coded in such a way that if you answer correctly, it makes a lot of assumptions about you and starts taking you in what seems like a very hardwired, I think is probably the best way to say it, a, a firm path in a certain direction. So it's rigid. It's not biologic. There's rigid uh, branching points. The problem with that is that the computer has to make assumptions about you that may, may or may not be correct. And also you may have uh, other things come in that can really, frankly, 
just blow your learning experience. And I, I would think of something like accidentally, you know, clicking the wrong answer. I like, oh, I know that. I know that. But once you've clicked it, it's too late. The computer thinks you don't know it. And now you're going to be slavishly served, you know, five more questions in that area. And it just feels sort of stilted. The biologic model that Rapsode uses, and we have some really great, you know, graphs. I wish I, you know, could pop up on my screen share and show you, but are just that. They're biologic. They're branching models. So there's no hard-coded branch points. So when I'm asked a question, we call them probes, meaning we're probing you to understand if you know something. When I ask you a question about a specific learning objective and you perhaps don't understand that correctly and you you don't get the correct answer, then we're able to move around. We, we don't get stuck. We don't hard branch left or right. We're able to ask similar questions around that concept and see if we can uh, use these uh, educational techniques of, of supporting you where it seems you know something and then trying to draw out a little more from you what you may or may not know. And so the learning looks very, graphically, it looks very biological. When we look at it in our graphs, there will be a big dot. That's a learning objective. And then lots of dots circling around that. And the amount of time you spent on a, on a learning objective will be graphically represented as bigger or smaller. But it's fascinating when you look at it because you'll see you know, three learners, somebody who knows the material cold has a relatively linear line through all the material. Maybe there's one or two little double backs if they weren't totally sure, but they're moving clearly through it. Someone who doesn't know the material at all, it's much more like this beautiful branched out bush or flower. And they spend some time over here in this area. And then you could you can graphically see that a connection was made. The student understood this principle and that helped them move forward. It's a long answer to your question, but it's. I think it's obviously it, it animates me. I think it's exciting to think about this more enlightened way to make educational material adapt to a specific student in real yeah. time. I think the visual learners out there really appreciated your description of that. So yeah, I'm trying to do it with my hands, but you get the idea. All the sense. It's not just the podcast. See if we've got the graphics yeah. the description. That's great. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Look, I think in terms of being a health tech podcast and we're talking healthcare, so you're obviously over in the US and we're talking about Australian healthcare. We're obviously learning and adaptive learning and 
becoming more efficient in our learning are the real key things we're looking at as clinicians. My background being an ICU nurse, your background being an intensive care pediatric doctor, we're looking at how can we improve the knowledge at the bedside for our clinicians. And this is, I think, where I see and a lot of other people will see such a benefit in, I guess, adaptive learning and what that looks like. I guess for that to be a bit more understood in the general healthcare environment, whether that be in the US or Australia. Do you have any examples or people that have used adaptive learning or Area 9 Lyceum and how they've used it for their clinicians? Well, I think a couple examples come to mind immediately, and, and they're both with great partners, not just the US, but they're New England Journal of Medicine and the American Heart Association. So both of those organizations are global and both use Area 9 adaptive learning software in their adaptive learning product. So Knowledge Plus is is what New England Journal calls their product, and Heart Code is what the American Heart Association calls this technology. And, you know, I think in those situations you see one is designed specifically for doctors to prepare for their board exams in internal medicine, family medicine, or pediatrics. Although I think it's telling that even after the board exam is passed, a very large percentage of those physicians re-enroll, if you will, in the Knowledge Plus program because they they find this approach to learning to be um, efficient and enjoyable. And then the Heart Association product really quite revolutionized the way the American Heart Association is able to prepare people for basic life support certification, ACLS, which, uh, you know, advanced cardiac life support, and then PALS, which is the pediatric version. And be able to, instead of take a, having a two-day class where, you know, you're all off your job and you're in a conference room and have a traditional, you know, lecture format, et cetera, really taking the cognitive content portion and making that adaptive so the student can go through it at their pace. I already mentioned with all my hand gestures, you know, that for someone who's expert in it, that can be very efficient. For someone who's a less expert, it's just as efficient, but takes longer because they need to learn the material. And they can do that at their pace, get what they need to then have a much more abbreviated in-person session where they demonstrate their CPR skills and their teamwork, et cetera. So, I mean, that, that would probably be, those two examples would probably be the first that, that come to mind of direct impact on the clinician to be able to say, okay, you need to learn these skills in the case of CPR. It's immediately applicable to the bedside. How can we most efficiently arm you with that material? And bridge that gap between virtual classroom, if you're online or in-person classroom, and then the bedside. Because I think the closer we can bring those two, the better, right? If what you do in your acquisition of new skills and knowledge is very segregated from what you do at the bedside, first of all, I don't think it's as much fun. All of us in healthcare, I mean, I'm a pediatrician, so I like fun, but all of us in healthcare want to make what we're doing as applicable immediately to the patient as possible. I think that's probably a fair generalization. And if you can use adaptive learning, use some of these other approaches to really make it real, bring it as close to the bedside as possible. I mean, if not for any other reason, the student's more engaged. I think that's a that's for sure. Yeah. And I guess we all have that relatability in looking at sitting at our bedside when we have a moment of time or sitting at home and ticking through the modules after modules of the mandatory learning that we're doing every yeah. year. How much of that learning is actually being ingrained and how much of that is stuff we already know and then stuff that we would like to know or is it the way in which the learnings approach because the modules seem to be the exact. I think I've been taking the same advanced life support quiz for the last 
six, oh. five, six years of my <laughs> career and yeah. maths tests that we still have to do that aren't applicable to our current jobs because they used to use drip rates or drop rates or yeah. whatever it is. As a clinician, it's, it seems like a waste of time, a lot of it, which is what I guess we're then talking about is the application of adaptive learning and how we can apply this to become one more efficient two better learners and how we can be better at our jobs because that's why i guess we're all here and just honestly the i mean learning really should be fun and medicine is fascinating and so what better potential combination to say wow this material is really cool and it's actually fun and exciting to learn more of it and oh, by the way, when I do that, somebody, some patient, a kid, or in your case, an adult in the ICU actually benefits from what I just did. So anybody that's that does anything, in my humble opinion, to make that less fun or like hammer you, just give you this same material, shame on them. You know, you're you're taking something that's great and you're maybe not intentionally, but you're you're making it a drudgery. Uh, there was a hot I'm familiar with a hospital that shall remain nameless, but they literally make coffee cups for their staff for the education week. And it says mandatory education week on the coffee mug. And I always thought it sounds like, you know, like, I don't know what, what else is mandatory that you just, it's drudgery that you have to do. Like, I don't know, not, <laughs> nothing fun, right? It sounds like something in prison. I don't know. It sounds terrible. So. No, definitely. I understand that. I guess what I'm looking for to find out more from you is, Yes, there's a th theoretical point, and this is adaptive learning. We're like online, we're looking at teaching and learning of already built knowledge or individualized pathways for people. How does this better outcomes practically in hospitals? And then how does this better outcomes for, therefore, our patients and our clinicians or our staff, I guess, for the people out there who are looking to help better their staff as well as their patients? <laughs> Can you tell me a bit more about that as yeah as background as a you clinician? know I think outcomes yeah I think outcomes in medical education that is a very hard nut to crack and here's why I say that first of all what is your what is the ultimate outcome even that's hard for many people to define so in critical care we like to say the outcome might be survival to hospital discharge after critical illness so even in the realm outside of education if we're examining a drug that's intended to raise your blood pressure, for example, and we give that drug, is it fair to say that the outcome was just that the blood pressure went up or which in my mind is like, yeah, I, that's why I gave the drug. Or do I need to show that drug made it so that patient left the hospital five days earlier and, and survived, et cetera. So um, first of all, understanding the outcome variable we're looking at in, in educational research, I think is just an interesting dilemma and an interesting quandary. So how does that relate, relate to adaptive learning or just educate medical education in general? Even things like simulation. I've recently reviewed a, a manuscript that attempted to connect simulation training with actual improved patient outcomes. And that's still like a real holy grail thing. If you can say this educational intervention that I did, that we did as a hospital or a department, because we did this education, because we learned this material, that, that next patient had a better outcome. So for adaptive learning, I would say for the near-term outcome, if you have efficiency in your learning, so in adaptive learning, there's all kinds of data that we have and others have that show that you can have acquisition of the content, you can have, have learning, have knowledge acquisition in 40% faster time because of the efficiencies that I mentioned in adaptive learning. You don't have to sit through material that you already know well. You very 
quickly prove that you understand it and you move on. So that freed you up right off the bat. If it was an hour and it only took you 40 minutes, then, you know, go to the bedside. You know, you have more time you have for your patient or you have more time to maybe cement principles that are harder to understand. So that the near-term endpoint is there for sure. Another near-term endpoint is confirmation of understanding. And that's where I think all of adaptive learning, again, or all of learning, all of not just medical education, but learning in general, and certainly adaptive learning, this conversation that we are changing, we are moving from the old days, and you're young, but you've still caught some of these old days, which are go to this lecture, you've got your nursing you know, certificate and you're credentialed, but now you need to maintain it. And for what we want you to do is go to a conference hall and sit in the back. You're welcome to uh, text or do whatever you want, chat with your friends. And after an hour, you will attest that you've been present for the lecture. And somehow does that I mean, that's been the paradigm, right, for continuing medical education in many settings. So there's no confirmation at all that you even paid attention. Of course, if you're a professional, you should, but we're humans. So then you move the needle a little bit and you say, okay, why don't you take a read, a, read an article or do some kind of activity? And then I'll ask you a few questions. And then I'm going to say that you're competent. Even that's a stretch, right? If you answered three poorly written multiple choice questions, I'm not sure that proves that you understand the material. What we have for this, you know, outcomes endpoint with Rapsode is 100% confirmation that the student is competent because in, in a typical 30 minute educational activity in Rapsode, we don't have four or five learning objectives. We have probably 25, yeah. at least 20. So the learning objectives are very granular and the, the probe, the way we, you know, interact with the student is very focused, perfectly focused on that learning objective. So if you answer the question correctly, I know you know it. And that's where we can't have something like a learning objective be, you know, understand the uses of epinephrine in, you know, shock. No, we would have a very focused thing, you know, recall the recall the effect on systolic blood pressure of epinephrine, right? So we hone it way down. So as you're a student, it's not hammered into you like uh, with drudgery. But in the background, what you don't see, the software is going through and really going through all these learning objectives as it works best for you, left and right, up and down. But it is touching every one of those. And when you've shown that you know it, then we deliver, because the, the original question was about outcomes. I've kind of been rambling. But then we deliver these outcomes. What were the outcomes? Quicker time to knowledge acquisition, that's for sure, and guaranteed assurance of competence. That final holy grail is still a little bit of a holy grail. In other words, if you did adaptive learning module in area nine, did your patient have a better outcome? And depending on where you want to go with the conversation, I, you know, we're working on that. I'm working with a colleague at Stanford on that specifically in the developing, in the developing country of Tanzania. So there's, it, we're working on that for sure. Yeah. Wow. And I guess it's just, it's really interesting to hear about the the reasons and the drivers for why you would use adaptive learning can be so varied between, I guess, stakeholders and clinicians and then the outcomes for the patients. I guess when we started this conversation, it was a bit difficult to understand how this was going to be so prevalent in healthcare, but it sounds like it's got so much growth to have within the healthcare department as there is. And that's why we have this podcast. We're talking about how to make the yep healthcare environment better in Australia and globally and thinking about how the efficiency of learning, like it didn't even go there in my mind 
on as a clinician in, in the background. So it's it's really cool yeah. and it's really interesting to hear how these different uh, overlaying parts and interacting different pieces are all coming together to actually build growth and learning for each. Yeah, group. and you know, I would just add to that that you know I was focusing on the individual student and focusing on the student patient sort of interaction or cl- instead of student I should say clinician professional medical healthcare professional but you can take a you can take a frame shift back from that too and say well w- what does a department what would a department like to know about their staff and their competency and their learning or what would a hospital system or what would what would an entire hospital uh, you know or consortium or a healthcare uh, consortium uh, insurance company if they want, they can step back and have a huge global picture of all of their employees or all of their professional staff and really start to do some fun things, which I don't think anyone's really done yet. I've wanted to do for quite a while, but imagine if in preparation for a medical conference where we're going to bring 300 people at expense and everything, fly them in and have, have the traditional conference. But what if we gave them all an adaptive learning module all 300 people to do before that conference. And then, you know, in, in taking an aggregate, looked at their pathways through that material. We could very quickly start to see, you know, people really understand this. People had a hard time with this. And then finalize the agenda for the conference based on the incredible data that we got by looking at the performance of all of the students. I mean, I just think, you know, I would just love to participate in that. And I'm I guess I should just walk the talk and do a conference like this. But how great would that be if you said, yeah, you registered for this conference. And just so you know, we've looked in aggregate at uh, 300 of you who will be attending. And we have now essentially custom curated the content we're going to present at the conference based on what you guys all just showed us. And we're not going to do 20 slides on stuff that you clearly already know. I mean, talk about efficiency. That would just be amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then and then you think about how that would then feed back into, we talked about outcomes in hospitals, but that's a clear thing. If you have a group of people that have a higher percentage of holes in learning within certain areas, how that yeah. then can be drawn and shown, which would show about like patient outcomes or what we're doing wrong or where our errors are being caused and why the errors are being caused. For sure, we can say, oh, there's medication errors or there's, you know, hand hygiene issues if we're talking COVID. Where is that area of learning and why is that? You'd have both the what and then the why in that. And I think that's probably the crucial point that I've taken out of what you've just explained to me. And that's you have the what and then you have the why in terms of why do people not know this or why? Yeah. And then you can direct yeah. your specifically. Yeah. Just in, it, these efficiencies build on each other. What? I mean, at the simplest lever, I, at level, I gave you back 20 minutes of an hour. That's great. Go have a coffee. Maybe, I mean, actually that's valuable too for as a busy professional. <laughs> if you didn't, like, you know, you met, <laughs> I, I, you know, end of afternoon, you know, you mentioned that you had the same simple content presented to you 10 times for all these things that we check the box. Do you remember how to wash your hands? And not to be little, it's important, but but it's such a, a lost opportunity to say, well, we have to go through this material again for legislative or regulatory reasons. We really believe that you probably know how to you know, fill in the blank, do these basic things. Let's dispense with that as quickly as possible so we can get to the good stuff, get yeah. to some fun stuff. I think all of the above is very much relevant and prevalent currently 
in, in healthcare and yeah, preaching to the choir here. Yeah, uh, you and me. <laughs> so I guess looking at summarizing what we've gone through here and the different directions in terms of how you can begin in adaptive learning and where to start is probably the biggest issue we have in Australian healthcare environment is the lack of, I guess, the willingness for change. We always like to talk about the willingness for change and during that is the readiness for change and having those two things, I guess, spoken about within something that's I wouldn't say it's new concept, but as you said, it's it's a concept that is being developed and it is a software, so therefore it means technology and how, right. how much yep. we don't enjoy changing technology in hospitals or whatever it is. What what can we look at and what where can you start with adaptive learning? How is this, let's say we've got a stakeholder, we've got someone who wants to begin the journey of adaptive learning. What does that look like, I guess? Right now, it's not really available on demand for any individual learner, with the exception of, I guess, you know, I mentioned New England Journal. As soon as I say it, maybe that's not entirely correct. If you went to the New England, if you said, I really want to learn, maintain competency or prepare for a board exam, and I want adaptive learning to be the primary tool that that I use, then you could seek out some of these things like, like the couple that I mentioned. But I don't think I'm not an employee of New England Journal Group. I'm not, you know, I have, I have nothing to do with their marketing department. But I would venture a guess that nobody or almost nobody came and called them or sent them an email and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested in preparing for the board exam, but I want to make sure it's adaptive learning that I'm going to do. You know, there, I don't think that was part. I think uh, most likely people said, I need to prepare for this exam. I have several options. There's books, there's, you know, there's different. I can go to a lecture or I can, you know, they have these types of conferences. I want somebody that, that I can trust the content that's presented. So right now on the individual student or professional level, I think it's still more, you're fortunate if you get into an environment where adaptive learning principles are used. I think as it becomes more well-known about actually how powerful this technology is, people will start to seek it out. I mentioned this high re-enrollment rate in Knowledge Plus, which was unexpected. You know, you, you paid to enroll in this course to pass the board exam. You passed your board exam. You know, it, you're done. But yet people re-enrolling, and that was such a powerful bit of information I got when I learned that, wow, people must really truly enjoy the experience, that they're happy to re-enroll even though they've already crossed the finish line. It's like running a race, you cross the finish line, you're like, that race was so much fun. I'm just going to run that. 10K again. You know, it's like kind of crazy to me. So I think as people learn more about these technologies and use them and enjoy them, they may start to seek them out. And remember, each day that goes past, there are fewer people that are not digital native. You know, really, that if there was early in this process um, some barriers to interaction with this kind of material, because you're using either a mobile device or using a laptop or something. That those days just melt away. That's the margin of time as it goes forward. It, it won't be too long. I mean, already you've seen these things where they show like a teenage kid a, a CD, you know, and say, do you, do you have any idea what this is? They have no idea what that is. Um, I have a little 10-year-old and he just loves like, you know, just like, what is, how, what was a, what was a walk man? Did you have a disc man? You know, stuff like that. So the tide is going this way. And I think we're all going to be more engaged in using technology in our learning and adaptive learning. Just as much as I can predict the future, it will be a key part of that future, I think. 
Yeah, and it sounds like your passion for it and the way that you've, I guess, fallen into it really has been lovely, I guess, shadow of how how intriguing it is and how it can be so useful in a background as a clinician, as a learner, as a patient really. Yeah. It's pretty amazing to have that whole picture on it. So, Mark, we mentioned before about if, you know, I was a healthcare provider or a healthcare professional and I wanted to engage or how would I be able to come begin adaptive learning pathway? You know, we talked to, I mean, I'm sort of describing at the individual level what it would be like to be a student to sort of seek out and find a adaptive learning product. And I've, you know, I've mentioned a couple of successful ones that we've had. I think if you take a step larger than that and say, well, what if I'm a hospital? What if I'm a hospital system or a clinic? And I wanted to take some of the content that we already have and make that adaptive and just try to sort of move this, you know, move into the future. How does that go? It's actually quite a fun process. Uh, you can tell I like, I keep bringing up this word fun. I like having fun when I do these things. So when we've worked with, we've worked with some smaller partners sometimes in the US and, and in Europe and, you know, the, the barrier to entry is low. So we say, why don't you come up with, I used to say, why don't you come up with your most dry material and let's just shoot for that efficiency factor and just kind of get people through the, you know, get them out of this dry material as quickly as possible. But that's really a pessimistic way to look at it. So now when I'm in these early discussions with, you know, usually a, a chief learning officer or an, in a smaller organization, it could just be an education department. I say, you know, what's some material that you really feel is great that that you're really most proud of? And usually there's a local author, sometimes a nurse, sometimes a doctor, very often a PowerPoint. But do you have a champion? Do you have a champion in your organization that just really loves this material? Okay, when we find that, now we're going to have some great energy of someone that's really excited to do something, you know, a, a little more forward thinking. Let's get together with them. And invariably, it's a 15-minute PowerPoint, something like that. And I, I think I had mentioned earlier, but it's very different how we do learning objectives. We'll sit down with the author and they'll say, well, I've got five learning objectives. And we'll say, let's really go granular because we need to come up with probes that, that match all these. But we just take, we just go through this process and sort of start out with a blueprint where, you know, what are the learning objectives going to be? Where does your great content fit into that? Area 9 have learning engineers that that work in Rapsode. There's always the option as companies have the ability or the desire to have a local person learn how to author in Rapsode. It's actually quite easy to do. There's ironically an adaptive learning course that teaches you how to make adaptive learning courses, which is sort of a meta kind of cool idea. So we actually have so we have this thing called Area 9U, Area 9 University. And uh, students work through that become proficient in making adaptive learning courses. And in the process of becoming certified in that, they make their first adaptive learning course. And it's at the end of their training, that course is ready to go. So especially smaller organizations love doing that. Even large organizations, you work through the process, you learned how to do it, and your final class project is actually ready to to ship, if you will, so to speak, to your organization. So I enjoy it. It's fun. So it's uh, the process is is interesting for the people involved because it is something new, and they get to um, right away see how things come together. And and you don't have to do the big leap and say, "Oh my gosh, we have two hundred courses, and you know how much time and effort is it going to take?" You start with a good one. You see how the response is. Invariably, it's well received. Frankly, because again, students like yourself, 
professionals like yourself recognize something that's different and then we just sort of build from there. So that's usually how that goes. Yeah, well, great. And I think the journey that you're describing is, I guess, like a sample size. And I think that's as long as you don't need to completely change an entire system, which is what scares the Australian healthcare, I guess, environment and landscape, because it's currently what they're trying to do is change entire systems within hospitals because the interoperability is mind-blowing. So I think that as long as there's a sample size and you're able to have a bite and have a look at the outcomes. And then I think, I mean, talking about outcomes, you sort of mentioned Tanzania as a bit of a sample size that you're using or a a country that you're you're using adaptive learning in. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, that's it's been a very interesting project. So I, I came to Stanford, I mentioned, uh, I think at the start about seven years ago, and a colleague of mine who I've known for years on his work at the Art Association, Dr. Peter Meany, came about a year later. Uh, so we've done some work at the Art Association, and he's, he's very interested in global health. He's very active. He's done some groundbreaking work in Botswana, where he contextualized heart association material, basically, the, the advanced life support material to that local environment, which just completely makes sense and is so often overlooked. So if your course book says uh, you would now put a patient on a ventilator, but in this particular environment, there is not a ventilator, that's a huge disconnect. So Pete did some great stuff and published some work there. And then one day we were literally sitting in the office just pre-corona and he said, you know, I got a little grant and I'm trying to see if there might be someone on campus who could make me some software and then he proceeded to basically describe what, you know, what is Rapso. He's like, it would just be great if I could have my content there and, and it could adapt to the students. And it was, it was, it was almost laughable. And, you know, I was like, Pete, actually, uh, we were, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just a nice chance encounter here because I know a company that really does this great stuff and great work and they do exactly what you described and they've been working on it for, you know, 20, over 20 years and, you know, two of the founders of Erie and I and are, are computer scientists. So it's not just a, a smart undergraduate and a, alone trying to figure something out. It's a real, uh, amazingly powerful software shop used by like, I think it's something like 40 million students have used Erie and I software in their learning. So anyway, what was great is I was able to help just get the handshake of with Pete and that Area 9 and they've entered into that with a philanthropic eye. And so they have kept the cost very low to, to do this. And so my involvement has been less as a global health researcher, because I, I haven't been, I'm, I'm interested in it, but it hasn't been my expertise, and more as someone who's interested in educational technology. So we're a couple years into the project. We've contextualized, uh, we, uh, the Royal We, but Pete and his team, and specifically his colleagues uh, in Tanzania, are creating, I mentioned, or I will talk about, you know, the development of specific products. So you can have local people learning how to make adaptive learning software products. And those that's been done. So those people in Tanzania are local experts, which is what you got to have. I don't know what you need. You know what you need. I mean, that's just seems so obvious. And so this is being rolled out in, uh, it's called Pediatric Acute Care Education, the PACE program with the Pediatric Association of Tanzania. And it's been, you know, all the typical barriers to the things we take for granted, a well-established highway system, a well-established transportation hub and backbone, et cetera, all of that stuff. It, those, those are challenges in a place like Tanzania. So to get out to rural hospitals with textbooks or, uh, you know, 
laptops is a challenge. You can leapfrog over all of that with adaptive learning. Create the content. People are using it on their mobile phones. People are using it uh, through their cell phone networks. It's amazing. And um, we're seeing, you know, we will we will be publishing these results, but, and I haven't seen the, the final data yet. I know the adoption data is great and the users are enjoying it and really hope to be able to publish that this intervention actually improves patient outcomes, which is the outcome we're looking for here. So we will be looking at, you know, rates of diagnosis of acute in, uh, illness in children, you know, rapidity of treatment, adherence to treatment protocols, all of these awesome things that you learn. And then you want to say, did I take that directly to the bedside? So in a big nutshell, that's what we're doing there. And it's, it's pretty fun stuff. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that we all care about, which is patient outcomes. So yeah, if you keep a laser focus on that, then all the rest sort of falls into place. And oppositely, if you lose that focus, then you're just somebody who's working on a computer, I guess. I mean, not to be a too fine a point on it, but it's great to keep the focus on a patient. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare.